And there was one baby, one baby died, and whose baby is it? And Solomon, walking in very unique wisdom, said, oh man, okay, if you guys can't agree on whose baby this is, then take a knife and cut the baby in half. Can you imagine if you were sitting in that room? Can you imagine it in a social media day and age if that thing happened? King Solomon just said, cut the baby in half. <laughs> and beat him, you know? There's always a purpose and a reason for the things that God does. As you'll hear today, there are cities of refuge and standards that go along with that. But did you realize that Jesus plays into all of this too? Today, Pastor Daniel helps you understand God's heart to rescue, redeem, and make your life right. But it came at a personal cost to him. This cost was worthwhile so he could see your heart come to a place of refuge. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 20 as he continues his message, Finding Refuge. Churches are like, well, we're going to start a new church because we don't believe in baptism that way. We believe it in this way. Or we're going to start a whole new thing because this guy does this thing and we're going to do our own thing. And it's like, hello. It's like the world is broken. And the good news is Jesus. And the church is so busy having an adventure to miss the point that the gospel isn't getting out. Now, listen, I love the fact that at Crossroads, we're not that kind of church. We're not trying to get into the minutia, but we're going to be deep about these things. Does that make sense? And I want God to speak to each one of you. And I want you to read the word daily. It's your daily bread. Like Jeremiah, your word was found by me, O Lord. He said, and I did eat it. And it became unto me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. When Jesus says, a person shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Quoting the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. That should be us. Just as we love our physical food, gluten-free or gluten-full. We should be loving, interacting, and digesting, and chewing on the Word of God. But we always want that study never to be divorced from relationship with God. Because right as you get into the Word apart from the God of the Word, that doesn't drive you to the people of the world, you're going to have a problem. And I just felt as I was studying, I needed to make sure I say that. Because it happens really easy, unfortunately. And it's one of the ways that Satan sidetracks the people of God. Now, look at what the Lord spoke to Joshua. Verse 2. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses. So, I already told you, it pops up in Exodus chapter 20 and 21, and in a number of other places as well. It shows up again in the book of Numbers chapter 35, and a number of other places. Now, what's interesting here is, in verse 3, it tells us that the slayer who kills a person 
accidentally or unintentionally may flee there and they shall be your refuge from the avenger blood. Now, don't miss the fact that the Bible has the name of one of the greatest metal bands of the 70s right there in the verse there. So you want to find a great name for a metal band, just go look in the Bible and you'll find it Slayer. You guys are good Christian people, so you don't know who Slayer is, but all of us pagans know what that is, you know? <laughs> Some of you people are like, I like Slayer. We're praying for all of you. No. <laughs> but you realize that murder is one of the Ten Commandments, right? And so out of all the things that God says, those unique ten that he wrote with his own fingers, you know, you have the two tablets of the law. The first tablet deals with our relationship with God, and then the second tablet deals with our relationship with other people. And out of that, the very first one is don't kill people. Don't commit murder. So the idea here is don't be seeking after people's lives to terminate it, right? And so right away it's like, but in the case where a person unintentionally or accidentally takes someone's life, God is now interested in protecting that person because in that culture, because of the avenger of blood, they are vulnerable. And so he says, I want you to appoint for yourselves these cities. Now, according to Jewish tradition, the roads leading to these cities of refuge were kept in excellent conditions and every crossroads had very specific well-marked signposts with signs that say refuge with arrows. And also, at times, there were runners stationed along those roads to make sure that people would get there and not get lost in the process. Now, is that kind of shocking? And all the things that God could care about, God's like, in this situation now where somebody who is in a bad situation is vulnerable, I want to make sure that there is a way for them to make sure that they are not exploited. That they are not losing their life before all things are being heard. And so what was amazing is you have all this going on, and it says in verse 4, and when this person flees to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of the city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give them a place that he may dwell among them. Now, What's interesting is in ancient cultures, the city gate was a pretty elaborate thing. I mean, when you think of a city gate, I mean, when you go to a city now, it's like you have a million ways in and out. But back in the day, there was really one entrance to get in and it was heavily fortified because it also functioned as a defense system for that city. So those city gates were very specifically controlled and right at the gates where the elders of the city spent time, the leaders of the city. So today they'd stay in City Hall or the White House, but back in the day they would stay in the, in the city gates and they would be the, the judges over all the disputed matters. So people would go to the city gates. Like in the book of Ruth, we have Boaz making the transaction to be able to redeem Ruth at the city gates with the elders of the city. So when this slayer who is fleeing for his life to the city of refuge, he'd show up at the gate and he would explain to the elders what was going on. And then the elders would determine if what he was saying was true or if it was false. The elders would determine, it was this death, was it truly accidental and unintentional or is this person a liar? Now, again, for elders and leaders... That's the calling and the mantle and, Lord willing, the anointing of a good leader. 
That discernment to be able to see through all the details and be able to say, this is true and this is false. And I just really want to encourage you. That's why it reminds us in the book of Romans that we need to pray for our officials. Look, even if you don't like the elected officials of whatever generation, as followers of Jesus, our job is to pray for them. Why? That God would give them supernatural wisdom to make good decisions. Now, here's the thing. If you're here and you... Maybe you really didn't, you don't like our current president, you really didn't like the last president, then you should be praying for them more. If you don't like their decisions, you should pray for them more. Because you're responsible for that. They make their own decisions, but our job is to pray for them because there's so much more going on in all these decisions than any of us know, right? And we really need the Lord to be able to speak in, that they would have hearts that would be open to receive what God's plan is. See, it's so easy to be angry at elected officials. But really, when was the last time you just got on your knees and prayed for them? Pray that they would make amazing decisions. Pray that God would give them wisdom beyond their years, beyond their experiences, beyond their issues. See, because the job of leaders is not easy. I mean, just imagine you're part of the elders of one of these cities of refuge and someone shows up and they've been fleeing for their lives and the avenger of blood is following after them and they get to the gate and they're like, explain to you what's going on. Now, how many of you have ever been in a situation where two people tell you about the same thing and they have two completely different reasons why it happened? If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like husband and wife, they see two things and then they have two different ways. No, you did it. No, you did it. No, it wasn't my fault. It was your fault. No, it wasn't my fault. It was your fault. Oh, no, no. It was definitely your fault. It's definitely not my fault, right? That's what the elders of the cities dealt with every single day in a million different ways. And don't think that elected officials or maybe if you work at a company, your boss, don't think it's not like that for them. The leader's job is to seek God, seek information and make wise decisions. That's one of the reasons Solomon in the scriptures is known as such a wise leader. You remember the story of the two women and there was one baby, one baby died and whose baby is it? And Solomon walking in very unique wisdom said, oh man, okay, if you guys can't agree on whose baby this is, then take a knife and cut the baby in half. Can you imagine if you were sitting in that room? Can you imagine in a social media day and age if that thing happened? King Solomon just said, cut the baby in half. Ah, impeach him, you know? But you know what happened? One woman said, yeah, cut that baby in half. And the other one said, oh, no, no, it's hers. And Solomon right there knew who the mother was because the mother whose child it really was, the mother who didn't already lose their child, would do anything to protect that baby. And he said, oh, yeah, take it, give it to that lady. And everybody marveled at his wisdom. See, and oftentimes things don't seem to make a whole lot of sense. But the elder's job was to arbiter what is really going on here, right? Because you could imagine somebody who truly disliked somebody, hated somebody beforehand, and really committed premeditated murder coming up with a whole story about what happened. So this refuge was only for those who committed murder, but in an unintentional or accidental way. And if it was found that the slayer or the person who was fleeing for their life to the city of refuge, if it was found that it was unintentional, then their job was to take that person into the city as one of them, as part of their community. 
and to give them a place that he may dwell among them. So you could imagine that these cities, their unique function within the people of God was to be a place for people who were fleeing for their lives. Not only would come, they would become part of the community and would also be provided for by that community. Now, could you imagine if you lived in one of those cities? Where it's like my neighbor on this side, he came from this city, he was running for his life, this person from this life. They say from, like, it'd be like murderer's row. Do you think that would be challenging? We don't often think about these things. Like, what would it be like living in a city of refuge? Or maybe would living in a city of refuge be the kind of place where it would all be about God's mercy and grace? Because everyone there realizes that they're alive because of the kindness of other people. Remember we talked about those two perspectives? My first thought when reading this was like, man, I would definitely be trying to move out of a city of refuge. I don't want to raise my kids around people. Who knows? Maybe the elders are out to lunch. Maybe they don't really get it. You know, and they're making bad decisions. And then I thought to myself, you know, that might be the most kind, generous city ever. Because everyone there realizes that they've been protected. That God has done a work. And because of that, they're still here. And how different that could be. Now, what it also says, and verse 6 is kind of, it's kind of strange for us. Because look what it says. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. And then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city in which he fled. So really what you have is protection for this from the avenger of blood was promised as long as the slayer stayed in the city. Now they were allowed to be protected and dwell there until they stood before the congregation for judgment. So the idea is there has to be a formal hearing for this thing. So they're allowed to be protected until then. And then if he's still found to be not guilty, he's allowed to stay there, but only until the death of the high priest. Now, obviously that's kind of a strange thing. Like, well, that's kind of arbitrary, isn't it? Like, so the death of the high, what is, is it like a built-in statue of limitations? I mean, what if the high priest was like 15 years old? You know what I mean? Like, would that be fair? But I don't think you should miss at all what the Bible says about who the great high priest is. Who's the great high priest? Jesus, if you don't believe me, read the book of Hebrews. That's why it's in there. That the high priest is a picture of Jesus. And don't miss the fact that the slayer who is seeking refuge from the avenger of blood has to stay in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. See, it's a perfect picture because what you have is that you and I, because of our sin, are under the curse of condemnation and death. And then we dwell in the city of refuge, Jesus, until the high priest dies. Because what happened when the high priest Jesus died? He rose again. And because he rose again, you and I, although our sins were as scarlet, now they've been made white as snow. Though our mistakes are real, God's grace is more real. Though our mistakes put us under the curse, God's grace puts us under a blessing. And so I don't think it's by chance at all that the high priest's death is in the middle of this story. Because God wants to point us to a greater city of refuge. And a greater high priest that is our Lord Jesus. That's why Jesus said to the religious leader of his day when he was disputing with him, he says, you search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but they are those which testify of me. That's what he said. 
He's like, look, you guys are studying the Bible and you don't even understand what's in the Bible because you think the Bible can be interpreted without me in the middle of it. And the cities of refuge is a picture of a new and greater place of protection. Not just a city, but Jesus himself and his own body on the cross and on the empty tomb. And so at that point, once the high priest dies, then you're allowed to go your way. You're allowed to leave the city of refuge and be free. Now, in verse 7, it gives us kind of the locations. It says in verse 7, So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee of the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness of the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth in Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. So what you have is you have six cities total. You have three cities of refuge on the west side of the Jordan, and then three cities of refuge on the east side of the Jordan. Now, if we were to look at these cities on a map, they were pretty strategically located, which is because God is pretty detail-oriented, right? If he's going to put three on the east side and three on the west side. So what you find is that Kadesh is in the north and Shechem is in the center and Kirjath Arba is in the south. Does that make sense? So on the west side of the Jordan, there's a north, a central, and a south one. And interestingly enough, on, when you get to verse 8, now you remember on the east side of the Jordan, you have Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. You know, they just explain these things from south to north. So, you know, you end up with Bezer is in the south. It's in the wilderness in the plain from the tribe of Reuben. Ramoth Gilead, that's in the center of the tribe of Gad. And then you have Golan in Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh in the north. So you have six of these cities of refuge, three on the east side, three on the west side. God is a rock solid city and nation planner. Does that make sense? Now, verse 9 closes this way. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Now, it's a kind of a beautiful summary statement, isn't it? And really what it's saying is that there is a place of asylum, a place of safety, a place of refuge for people to go. You know, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I think we so love the new thing, don't we? Like, we're always so fascinated by what's new, what is novel. Like, it's interesting because, you know, like, I didn't grow up in the church. And so I didn't have, like, my parents' faith that I was trying to, like, figure out, like, how do I feel about all this stuff? So my faith was new for me. But, you know, you hear the stories about kids or people who grow up in the church and how they struggle with it because it's like they've always known this, right? It's always been there for them. And even though I didn't grow up in the church, I've been walking with Jesus for 20 years now, you know, half my life. And when I read the Gospels, I've read them many, many times. But how often are we allowing the things that we're familiar with to breed a little contempt in our heart. Like we're not as blown away by the most beautiful truths because we're so used to hearing them. 
You know, it's so easy. And this is happening all over the people of God today. And maybe some of you are there right now where it's like you used to love the Bible, but now you love this book by this author whose theology you would have never read five years ago. And because you hadn't heard that stuff before, you're blown away by it and you're enticed by it. But the reason, but the reason it's enticing to you is because not only is it novel, you've never heard it before because it's not in your Bible. And the slow slide begins. And you do that long enough, and you know what ends up happening? You realize that you're not walking with Jesus, or you're trying to find ways to justify the way that you're walking as if you're walking with Jesus, but you're not. Why? Because you're not holding on to the most important things that you've always known. And... I don't think we should bury our heads in the sand and not understand what's going on in the world. But brothers and sisters, we have to learn how to keep the Bible in the right hand of strength and keep everything else in the left hand. And you check everything against God's word. Because what's going on a lot right now is people are putting other things in the right hand of strength. And if the Bible doesn't line up with culture values or these things, then we throw out what's in the Bible and we have it totally backwards. And I just felt as I was thinking about this, about these cities of refuge and Jesus being a refuge and the cross being where salvation is given and where it is offered and the simplicity of walking with Jesus and being people of the word of God. Sure, it's an ancient book, but it has absolute relevance to every area of our life, every single moment of every single day. Everything you need is in that book. It's in there. You're like, I don't know what to do. When was the last time you read and prayed through the book of Proverbs and started to apply those Proverbs to your life? Like, man, my worship life isn't what I want it to be. When was the last time you began to Praise God with psalms. When you're saying, my walk with Jesus wasn't what it used to be. When was the last time you just began to read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and watch Jesus as he walked through his culture and let Jesus walk off those pages into your life and into your culture? When was the last time when you were fearful of the future? You turn to the end of your book and you read those last three chapters and you realize in the end of the day, if you're with Jesus, it's all good. See, the Bible has what we need. Yes, culture changes, but people don't change and God definitely doesn't change. The heart issues of humanity is exactly the same today as it was 2,000 years ago as it was in the Bronze Age. Exactly the same. So although the cultures might be unique, people and God and the Word, it always stays the same. And brothers and sisters, let's never get bored of so great a salvation. Let's never tire of the old song that says, the old time religion is good enough for me. The religion of Moses and David, Peter and John. Jesus is What a word today from Pastor Daniel talking about how Jesus' salvation is your refuge and your strength. Don't become numb to what God's doing in and through your life. Don't be running further away from Him and what He desires for you. God wants what's best for you, and that means running to Him, 
when you're tempted to run away and do whatever it is you want to do instead. Jesus' salvation is your ultimate refuge. Hey everyone, there's a lot happening in the world and it can keep you pretty busy. But I want to encourage you to take some time and devote it to your spiritual growth. I know God wants to do something in your life and I'm excited for you to discover exactly what that is. Come join me for a worship service at Crossroads Community Church online so I can share the Bible with you. Join me online at crossroadschurch.net or find me on Facebook Live. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Thank you for partnering with us. Thanks for joining us as Pastor Daniel has been walking through the book of Joshua. You'll notice next time that we'll be in a chapter that discusses where the Levites should be in the promised land. They weren't meant to all be in one place, but to be spread out. This is how it should be for the Christian church today, too. The most effective way to reach people is by Christians taking posts in different areas for the kingdom. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.